going on, my lady? Um, I'm drinking tea. Drinking tea? Yes. What kind of tea? Well, you made the tea, so I don't know what kind of tea. Good. Let's keep it that way. This tastes a little like Earl Grey. <laughs> I did a heinous Sweet. act. Oh, no. Did you mix things? <laughs> Not <laughs> spices. I couldn't help it. <laughs> Shaking my head. Probably you. It tastes good, though. It does taste good. Probably so you and a million that. other people listening to this podcast. <laughs> They're probably all just ready to turn it off. What? Sacrilege. <laughs> I, w- I would probably have more of a problem if it wasn't so smooth. So my thinking yes. is I use twining Earl Grey and English breakfast based on what's in the cupboard. Damn, you know your tea is holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> you know your hot sauce. I know my tea. Yes, this is true. The little bite you get on the end there is the red rose. Is a little red rose in there? the yeah one packet of well there's one of each so red rose oh so there's some red rose okay it really doesn't have much bite all i think what it's done is added extra intensity of the black tea because ultimately the english breakfast and earl grey teas are black teas mm-hmm. you just have you know there's bergamot in the one and i don't remember what else in for english breakfast i find it very interesting that they use bergamot in in teas like that because my first experience with bergamot before um really understanding teas is with using bergamot in magic like mm. i didn't know bergamot I was actually when i tea. told you yeah. about the bergamot in the tea at one point a little while ago you were you just got hooked on the bergamot thing because you said i fucking love bergamot i do because as a as a magic oil or incense it is fucking phenomenal like the smell of that alone like if you're just working with bergamot alone as an incense or oil for like um manifestation purposes like holy shit it's the best thing ever so anyway, i mean clearly we're talking about some packaged teas here not nice made blends which which is where you are good to blend is when you make a you know medicinal blend. Yes. Not an or caffeinated evening prepackaged tea, yeah. typically. Or a magical somehow blend. Found it. See, the tea, the key I think is that I keep the right teas in the house, so you can't go too crazy mixing. Yeah, I know. Ginger and ginseng with Earl Grey. Well, see, that would be fucking awesome to me. No. <laughs> we can just end this podcast right now if we're going to go there. Mm-mm. Welcome everyone. Uh, <laughs> we just <laughs> welcome to our latest tea argument. <laughs> that is not what was actually going to happen. Actually, we had a topic: jack of all trades. Yes, and is I, something you said. Well, yeah. you said you wanted to bring it up. I. Well, that that's the title of the podcast: jack, jack of all trades. I mean, there are several aspects we're going to talk about in there. Um. Plus, we'll probably have tangents because you've left. You've told me hold that thought for yes. on a few things. Yes, I did. You 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 have it still, right? The thought I had. Yeah. Yeah. We were talking about 
um, why we constantly want more. Right. Because so, we were talking about a kitchen. Can we just write that down? <sighs> so, yeah, that was the thought we were doing right as tea was being made and I was bringing out my crocheting and all that goodness. Making sure little one's bedroom door is more shut. Yeah. Otherwise, she would welcome herself onto this podcast happily. Yeah. And you would hear all her babbling. Yeah, maybe at some point we might actually let her do that daytime recording or something. <laughs> let her have her five minutes of fame on the podcast. <laughs> let people be amused. <laughs> what goes through the mind of a child of ours, shaman and a psychic. Good lord. I don't know if we're ready for that yet. <laughs> That actually brings up another great topic, though, considering how children are, depending on where they're raised, different methods of raising, and, like, worldwide, I'm thinking, different religions, different... Could be a whole topic there. Could be several things. Quite true. Might so, even, as everyone's discovering, we're all, we always have so many ideas and things to discuss, and... Might even get polarizing. We'll see. Well, we've already had quite a few similar-type discussions when we discussed little bits about our ideas of raising her. True. I mean, you came from having attempted participation in the raising of your others. Yeah. And, I mean, I came from a whole different kind of background with kids and such, and we ma- we mesh really well. Yeah. But even with that, we've had to do some major discussion to realize where one another is coming from at times. I think that is the key, though, and I'll I'll I'll, I'll kind of say say that part. It's really important that both be on the same trajectory as as a unit. But what I have seen, and what well, what we both have seen in when we do our couples coaching, is each person unwittingly or sometimes even unconsciously um, try to impose their will. And their will isn't even their own because it comes from a familial background. So in other words, I was raised Catholic, so we have to have Catholicism. You know what I mean? And, and Or, you know, which is a very, very strong polarizing aspect of it. You know what I mean? But along those lines you know this is kind of what happens in every inside of a relationship and i think that you know what we've discovered is in a way to a degree fuck all that previous shit because we don't know here's here's the fact of the matter you do not know what kind of child you're going to produce Ever. It is just as much a entire fucking surprise as waking up the next day. We think we know what the next day is going to bring, but that's it's a misnomer. It's a very misguided misnomer. We don't know, and that's the same. It, it, I mean, of course, I'm probably simplifying it a little bit more than it is but i think just to kind of elaborate a little on what i think you're having trouble with there is we have a solid idea as to what we think we should be expecting we can't know no you have to make allowance for that not knowing 
and I think I think it as far as parenting goes, the, a lot a lot of people miss the boat on that. Like I grew up in a time where this was the expectation that you knew what kind of child you were going to produce. And so you're going to mold and fashion it <laughs> into that thing. And and how many times has that actually worked? Right. And we've both discussed, and, you know, this is very similar with any kind of relationship advice as well. If you're entering a new relationship, you know, when you're trying to mold into what your idea is of what perfection is, mm-hmm. that's very different than just guiding along a path. I mean, you and I have done that. We've never really tried to mold each other, even when we have nasty bad habits that bug each other at times. We well, just yes. try to gently guide to where we'd like them to be, and what, what, based on how we feel the other person kind of moves that way, and that's exactly what we do with a little one here. I think, in, in addition to that, one of the one of the coolest things in in my mind is that we've we worked really hard on simply identifying why a habit bugs either of us exactly so in other words like why why does it trigger because to each other it doesn't it like that's just in our nature to do whatever that thing is but when you're in the presence of someone else you don't really know that that's a trigger for someone else so we've been able to kind of identify okay here's why this triggers me because then it gives you the understanding of, okay, maybe this isn't such a good habit, or maybe there is a way to de-escalate the trigger itself, so that perhaps if you continue with that, whatever habit it is, I can understand, or you can understand, um, the trigger is no longer applicable. So, right. so you know what I mean, but it goes both ways. So, even if even if the trigger itself has been um, decompressed, probably the best word that I can find for it right now. So, even if the trigger has been decompressed in the one person, the awareness that there is a trigger for the other person who is um, uh, making that action, they are aware that oh because i really like this person i enjoy this person's company this is my person maybe i should be more aware not to produce that action like you know what i mean and i think that's the thing that we really really honed in on yeah over the last few years and i mean i think to that end like let's look at a few examples um i'm just thinking maybe even of the kitchen type thing you know that I have this I mean for me that's more of a trauma thing so it's not a direct reference but it's the most readily available one to me I think it's I think it's relevant uh, so I came into this relationship not being able to have you in the kitchen at all yeah and yes we've worked on that to a point where mm, that's not the case anymore but I still certainly am more comfortable being alone in the kitchen mm-hmm. Uh, but in reference to how you put it, the example there would be you are used to the kitchen being a 
family center, a favorite place you love cooking, it, you know, could be considered, you know, an irritation that I don't do the in the kitchen together thing in the initial phases, right? It used to be, Exactly. But you recognized what it was. We talked the thing through. And on my side of things, I said, I want to work on this. And on your side of things, you said, I'm going to help you. And we worked through it well. And now, to this day, all these years later, you still recognize that if you want me to bake, the most likely way is to drop a hint or... Okay, it's not a hint. <laughs> I was just, to me, it's a hint. No, that's just, everyone else would think that's too obvious. You straight up say, woman, I want some of your cookies. <laughs> or woman. So damn near picket line like protest. Breaking, right? Yeah, maybe it's not a hint. But anyway, you do that, but then you drop Mike, per se, and go do your own thing and then wait and and try to enable a fashion that the kitchen is quiet for any period of time so i can at least get started yeah and then cookies magically appear i don't know if you know exactly how (laughs) so it's it's a give and take i don't know if you know like how incredibly difficult and challenging that is for me to not be around the kitchen when you're baking like because it, just yeah. to give you an like example, my thing is like I'm like you want something, okay? Instead of making it a whole thing and waiting for the mood, I'm going to actually just do the kitchen action. Right. So let me let me give you a little bit of background so that you you really understand like how how challenging this is. I grew up with when <clears throat> when there's a court, well quote unquote no food in the house. <laughs> The child's version of no food. The child's version of no food in the house. Like right now, fridge full. Apparently, we have no food except cereal. Right. Exactly. That kind of thing. Exactly. Right. <laughs> um, my my mom would go into the kitchen, and it was like, is like a, a a superhero landing on the scene of the tragedy. <laughs> <laughs> You know, just when the tragedy is about to strike its critical moment, a superhero just comes in. <laughs> That's how, as a kid, like we saw that scene when Mom got up because we're okay. You know how you know how our little one, she watches every step you make to see what you're gonna do next, right? This is exactly how we saw it. If mom got up, because of course she was a dress designer, right? So she's on the sewing machine, you know, at least 12 hours of the day. So if she got up (laughs) from the sewing machine, (laughs) the house would stop. (laughs) I mean, for the last hour, we're saying, Mom, we're hungry. Mom, we're hungry. And of course, it's, you know, witty, a little bit mean, but, oh, hi, Hungry, how are you doing? My mom did the exact same thing. The exact same thing. I love the exact same answer. Because after a while, you know, she knows there's food in, in in the kitchen, but we don't see it. And she's busy, right? So this is, so when she got up, 
it was like the heap superhero. You're watching to see if she's going to the scene of the tragedy, which just happens to be the kitchen. Which is where food becomes magically in a bowl, in a plate, ready for consumption with no prep. She goes into that one room and food comes out. It's like a worldwide universal concept at this point. Right. So I think like like I think that's fairly standard. It's so like Imagine that I grew up with no that. There's no food until right. the mother person exactly. enters or whoever the main food adult is enters the kitchen. No matter how many times I cook. Cuz here it's you. Yeah, no there's matter, no food until you went to the kitchen. No matter how many times I cook though. How many times she sees me in the kitchen. There's she does not in any way, shape, or form, react the same way as to when you go in the kitchen. Yeah, when I'm in there, all she wants to do is bring her step and help, help, help. I am, stir, stir, I mix, am mix, not, do, do, do. I am not the superhero of the kitchen. I'm telling you right now, I'm not. You don't think so? Not even remotely close. Well, you're the one who cooks most of our yes, food. But so. th- that's not. Remember, you're my superhero in the kitchen. Right. Not not hers though. When you step in the kitchen, it's like. Uh, <laughs> I suppose there's something to be said for the sweet tooth aspect. When I step in the oh, kitchen, true. sweet things come. It's, it's usually <laughs> sweet things, so there is that. But okay, so that's that's the point I'm making, though. Like when that's what I grew up with, like seeing this every mm-hmm. single week. Remember, I told you my mom would make this this when I was younger. My mom would make eight loaves of bread, and we're not talking these shitty fucking store, pan-sized things. These pan size <laughs> fucking you know s- s- story bedtime story fucking loaves of bread we're talking country style loaves of bread where a slice would like take up you know at least half the plate <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean she'd make eight of those she would make at least on a really bad day she still made at least six dozen cookies. <laughs> that was like a that was a she wasn't feeling good week. And then there would be um, sweet bread, which was in, in back home. Sweet bread is is a is a sweet loaf that's made with either raisins or currants. Would that be similar to like a raisin bread type scenario? So imagine raisin bread, but heavier. Okay. And with sugar on top. Oh, okay. So it's it's you know how you, know, you put that little butter thing on top of the, on on top of the the you know pastries or whatever, right? So the, it would be a, a a sweet glaze. Okay. And then you you add sugar sugar on the top of that. Um, <laughs> then there would be uh, dinner rolls. So she'd do like three three dozen dinner rolls, and <clears throat> then. She would make, uh, sometimes she would make currant rolls. So using the currants, and then that's a, a whole pastry by itself with flaky, flaky stuff going on. Um, sometimes she would even make plat bread. So I know that, the, the, you know the French version of putting the, the, three, the three. Braided bread. Right. So, yeah, so we call it plats, right? So braided bread, she'd make maybe two or three loaves of those. And then this was this was just, this was every week. And the reason <laughs> why she had to make it every week is because all of that would be gone. <laughs> and the biggest reason why all of that would be gone is because everyone 
who we knew, like our house was community house, basically. Everybody knew when my mom was baking up on the hill up there because, <laughs> because we were like mid hill. So the, the waft would go through the whole hill. <laughs> you know what I mean? So imagine that that's, that's what I grew up with. So when, when you were having like trigger reactions to being in the kitchen, it was far fetched for me. It was so strange. I, I needed to understand what that was because I had no frame of reference, like zero frame of reference for that. Yep. You know? So understanding it was super important. What I find funny in that, because you often bring that reference, the baking days, I don't think I've truly been able to bring you a baking day yet. I came pretty close. Um, the, the Christmas I had the miscarriage. When I kind of went baking nuts. Yes. That that was pretty close. Yeah. Because I, I that. <laughs> I baked to heal. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Mentally. Yeah. And uh, I came pretty close there because spent like what over a week doing a few dozen things a day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that was about the closest I think. But I remember when I was younger, I had several baking days once or twice a year usually. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I tell mom what and. Like, I was, like, 9 and 10 years old. Like, <laughs> yes, I was a responsible child. It wasn't my mother being irresponsible. She fully trusted me to be on my own. I mean, I would run away from the babysitters and go home, which is when she decided to stop paying the babysitter and just let me be a latchkey kid. Right. And <laughs> so, so it was fine. I was a responsible kid. But I was that young when I started doing this, and I'd sometimes get my brother on board for a thing or two, but I'd make, like, I'd fill the kitchen table full of goodies all kinds of cookies and squares and such sometimes like a cake or muffin type thing mm-hmm. i know as a kid it was going to be you know simpler things like that but there was like a table full and i remember the one time it went over to the sideboard as well yeah. <laughs> you know it kind of scared my mother that time i think i was 11 <laughs> at that time kind of scared my mother and I mean this was in the summer so I had like the whole day off you know and mom was at work and everything we had air conditioning so yeah. I, I didn't think anything of it just crank the AC up yep crank the AC and get baking uh, <clears throat> go figure see all of these things I think are relatable to the topic that we're talking about because and you know for our viewers like you know, Master of None has been misquoted, misunderstood, and has become almost a negative term of endearment. And I know that may not seem, you know, grammatically correct as an idea, but as I explain it, maybe maybe people will understand it a bit more. Because well, we, we were kind of getting into that concept. We were discussing um, a little bit about all the different... Because I remember like we recently in one of our podcasts here, we even just in, in it for reference, you know, put out a whole bunch of the things that we are, you know, qualified in, or I think it was especially with you. Yeah. And sometime after that, it brought up a bit of a conversation that related to somehow when we got into the jack of all trades briefly. Yeah. 
that that phrase goes, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, as a misnomer. Right. And because you said you found out. I found out full... what, what the full sentence actually is. So, for our listeners, if you haven't, if you like, I think there's very, very few people on the planet that Probably don't know that statement. True. <clears throat> so, I did some backup research to find out more about it. I think Wiki actually has um, probably the best summary. So I'll read that one out. Uh, if you, I mean, everybody can look this up. You know, you can look at, look this up on Wikipedia, and there are quite a few other sites that address it too. But I think Wikipedia has probably um, the most complete summary. So. <clears throat> Jack of all trades, master of none, is a figure of speech. And one of the other sites also says it is an idiom. It's used in reference to a person who has dabbled in many skills rather than gaining expertise by focusing on one. The original version, jack of all trades, is often a compliment for a person who is good at fixing and has a very good broad knowledge they may be a master of integration such uh, such an individual who knows enough from many learned trades and skills to be able to bring the individual's uh, disciplines together in a practical manner this person is a generalist rather than a specialist so when it goes that's the that's the main preface Mm -hmm. Uh, when it talks about the origins, Robert Greene used the phrase absolute Johannes factotum in his 1592 booklet, Greene's Groats Worth of Wit, to dismissively refer to actor-turned-playwright William Shakespeare. Of course, that's arguable as a statement, but we'll... <laughs> We'll leave that for another time. Right. Um, this is the first published mention of, of Shakespeare. Some scholars believe Green was referring to resolute Johannes Florio, known as John Florio. They have pointed out how Johannes was the Latin name of John Giovanni and the name by which Florio was known among his contemporaries. The term absolute was an alliteration of the nickname chosen and used by Florio in his signature uh, signature, precisely the word resolute. And the term factotum was a disparaging definition of Secretary John Florio's job. In 1612, Yeah, I read that right. In 1612, the English language version of the phrase appeared in the book Essays and Characters of a Prison by English writer uh, Geoffrey Minshaw, originally published in 1618, and probably based on the author's experience while held at Gray's Inn, London, when imprisoned for debt. 
So now we get to the really, this is the meat of the matter here. So master of none. <clears throat> the master of none element appears to have been added later. This is what I found curious. Mm -hmm. So the master of none element appears to have been added later. It made the statement less flattering to the person receiving. Today, the phrase used in its entirety generally describes a person whose knowledge while covering a number of areas is superficial in all of them. When abbreviated as simply jack of all trades, it is an ambiguous statement. The user's intention is then dependent on context. However, when master of none is added, this is unflattering and sometimes added in jest. In the United States and Canada, the phrase has been used since 1721. Now, the full quotation. <clears throat> In modern times, the phrase with the master of none element is sometimes expanded into a less unflattering couplet by adding the second line, though oftentimes better than master of one or variants thereof with some writers saying that such a couplet is the original version and they have original in quotes with the second line having been dropped. Although there are no known instances of this second line dated to before the 21st century. It's very curious. Very curious sure. because the other site, how is it the original without being well, exactly. Provably the original. Right. So the other site, um, which is kind of weird from uh, gingersoftware.com, uh, says the phrase jack of all trades, master of none, refers to a person who is competent in many skills, but is not outstanding in any of them. Interesting fact about jack of all trades, master of none, is that the idiom jack of all trades, master of none, originates from Elizabethan English. The idiom was famously used by Robert Greene in his 1592 booklet Greene's Groats Worth of Wit, where he refers to William Shakespeare with this idiom. And that's all they had to say about it. When I looked at what was the other one here? Hang on. I'll get the other, the other page up here. <clears throat> right, Jack of all trades, master of none. Right. So the full phrase is a jack of all trades. A jack of all trades is a master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. The whole idea behind the entire statement was to prove that by having as many skills as possible, you can actually be advantageous as opposed to someone who only specializes in just one thing. And it is a huge debate simply because those who specialize are usually considered just a specialist so it's a matter of i would say like a glob a global 
mor- morality issue? I think it's more a philosophical question. Right. Uh, sorry. That that's what I meant. A global global philosoph- philosophical issue of do you become a specialist and just be a master of that one thing? But then what is your usefulness otherwise? And see, I think you need both. The society relies on having both. You can't you can't have a really great society without both. Because on the one hand, if you take into account, say, survival, you're thrown into some weird, crazy situation. I don't know. Let's think desert island, apocalypse, whatever. Mm-hmm. Jack of all trades is going to come in really bloody handy. I mean, if you can, you know, build a barricade, kill zombies, and, you know... <laughs> cook a meal from the edibles around you or something, all that's great, you know? Mm-hmm. You're on a desert island. If you know how to, if you've got good survival knowledge and skills and such, if you um, are physically fit, you can climb trees and get those coconuts down. If you have been working as a chef for forever, you know exactly which seafoods are the best. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, So there are scenarios where jack-of-all-trades is really useful but at the same time, a society can't really progress truly unless you have some people becoming specialists because learning more of that knowledge really can promote us in a lot of different ways. It's more of a um, survival versus growth patterns, I suppose, to have, like the difference between you know having a jack of all trades or you know master of one. Mm. I, see, I, I think I, I see if you're, you're in a survival mode type society, you can't really take the time to be a specialist on a thing unless it comes by proxy, like just simply years and years having to do the same thing because that's your so what you're saying dedication. Is that, but very mostly, you'll be a jack of all trades. So what you're saying is that it has it has to have an environmental factor. I think so. But that's what I think. Mine. Like that's what my opinion is. Because see, I I could see where in a survival environmental factor um everything comes down to being able to do everything so like for example mm-hmm. the we'll homestead go back to my yeah home either homesteading or my favorite caveman times right concept right right homesteading or caveman times you have to know to do everything yourself because there isn't anyone around to rely on and as such, how are you truly going to be able to put in the manpower hours to become an, a true expert at something? I mean, occasionally you get that, but for the most part... Well, look at, look at, look at the caveman times, right? Um, there had to have been a serious number of deaths in order for them to realize what plants were good to eat and what were not good to eat. Right. And I mean, you then, and see, this is where growth of a society comes, I think, because then you get experts. Your medicine woman who knows exactly how to test plants and even test them for medicines. And they had to be expert. They had to in be medicines. really good obs- observations. Could, could she really be a medicine woman if her entire focus had to be on survival of, the, of herself and those around her, like immediate survival? Well, in, in a way, I see what you're <laughs> saying, but in a way, she would have to be the one to be clear in her observation and realize that the potential of her observation is to provide the survival of everyone else around her. And I think, I mean, 
to that and there are some other aspects to consider. I mean, some people do naturally inherently have a supreme talent at a thing without really needing much teaching. So every bit of extra learning they get does progress them to a mastery really well. Yeah, I, and I agree with that. There are some people who truly are just really great at learning a whole bunch of things. Well, this is true. I mean, I'm just thinking like, look at my stepdad and how my brother's trying to be in that way. You know, literally jack of all trades. Mm -hmm. Fix anything, can drive anything, can work in any environment. Yeah. You know, can farm, truck, build, repair, three zillion different things. Yeah. Because, um, and, but, then, but then his power of, of observation yeah. is very keen. Right. But had he just focused on one, right, he might not have had the time to do all. So I think it depends then on what type of person you are like do you have something that you naturally are inherently incredible at like um okay big bang theory since that's fun mm -hmm, i've had mm -hmm. fun with yeah. wow right sheldon cooper yeah his, his natural inherent thing was this seeking of knowledge particularly science because that's the ultimate continuing seeking knowledge mm -hmm. now if you were trying to be a jack of all trades yeah and in a sense he is because he does learn a lot of things to mastery but that that's a whole nother thing he's mm -hmm. the whole genius thing right. but like he went on this whole weaving thing what if he stuck to stuck to the weaving and became the super expert at that instead of just a good weaver right right yeah. or something like that he could have chosen anything but he was particularly in the science from an early early age it was a natural thing nobody had to really teach him how to do that he just seeked it out like he was always seeking it out no matter what so. and see i could relate i could relate to that because i've been that way um as early as i could remember i always wanted to know and there was a complete breakdown and dissatisfaction if i didn't know i would never pursue what i didn't know like my entire life that's how I've always been even when even when I began to take um studying spirituality and magic seriously um the first real encounters that I had with ritual were always based in nature work right that was the reason for my first my first uh my first spirit name right and because of my experience with working with um, oils and incense and and trees and and herbs and and uh, crystals and stones, like I was very comfortable there, and my knowledge pushed me to find out more. And then I came across that there are spirits. Now remember, I grew up Christian, so anything that has to do with an intelligent, non-corporeal being <laughs> only equated to the devil. <laughs> that was all I knew it as. Because if you didn't say the word angel, I was like, fuck that, I'm out. <laughs> and, but it, when it gnawed at me that there was more to the story that I possibly didn't know the whole story. That drove me batshit crazy. So I had to. I didn't have a choice. I had to, just because of my own nature, that if I have to be a part of something, I need to know what it is. And because I already committed to taking 
the study of spirituality and magic seriously. If the spirits are a part of it, well, fuck, now I have to know. You know what I mean? And that's what that's what really pushed me into uh, studying more about it. And then when I found out that spirits are actually real, like it wasn't a, this wasn't a fake thing. There are intelligences that don't have physical bodies that can communicate. It was a holy fuck moment. <laughs> and, you know, then I started coming across sigils and all of these instructions. I was one of the people that did not do what everybody else did. Most people would just see a sigil and just go use it or follow an instruction, go use it. I was like, fuck that. I don't know who that is. If you're telling me this is real and there's proof that this is real, then I don't know who's on the other side of that sigil. So I'm not going to do that unless I know who the fuck's on the other side of the sigil. It's like getting a random phone call. I don't know who the fuck's on the other end. And how in the hell did you get my number? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? That's that's the premise that I... That was the observational um, intelligence that I approached it with. If I don't know what's on the other side of this... Because that's basically what a sigil is. It is a phone call. If I don't know who's on the other end of that phone call, why in the hell am I going to call the number? Right? It, it's like it's like in 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 movies. The the characters are warned, hey, look, don't go up to that house in the middle of the dark woods at midnight. There's a lot of shit that happens and nobody's ever come out alive. Then you have all the stupid and the dumbasses be like, oh, let's go up to that house in the middle of the night. Like, are you fucking stupid? Somebody just told you. Several people tell you, do not go up there in the middle of the forest at midnight. Fucked up shit happens. People don't come back. <laughs> you decide you're the dumbass that just wants to go there. That's that's the that's the stupidity. But at the same time, I feel a definite um, natural curiosity killed the cat feeling where I very much want to just to see because you want to experience the thing yourself. So the intelligent thing is to <laughs> wrangle yourself and be like, no, that's a dumbass move. No, I have never had that my entire You've life. never had that feeling? My entire life. I have never so I once had that feeling. A- fascinatingly unique thing all of its own my mother i think has a lot of that come to think of it not that natural curiosity to do dumb stuff i have that natural (laughs) curiosity to do dumb stuff and now i'm wondering could it be something like an adhd no it can't no i know people who definitely do dumb stuff like that and are so okay so that can't that's not even a thing i don't know where that for a moment i was just gonna put in that interesting i'm sure that there's a psychologist somewhere i'm sure there's a psychologist or psychiatrist somewhere that maybe have written about this as a process of so why people do that but i've never had that if i hear or know that hey look there's some bullshit going on over there at a certain time i'm not going anywhere around it i'll wait and and i'll be that sniper version 
I'll be about 10 kilometers away and watching <laughs> through my spotting scope <laughs> see what the <laughs> fuck's going on. <laughs> I am not into that bullshit. I don't want to be right up close to find out what the fuck's going on. I will be at that distance. And once I see and observe for myself, oh, that's what the fuck's going on. Okay, now I can go and learn how to prepare for just in case I end up in that situation. <laughs> I mean, for me... I feel the, the the curiosity thing pulling at me, like just about killing at me, going, I want to go see, I want to go see. Oh. That entertainment thing, which I think is interesting because it kind of brings me back to that concept, you know, how apparently everyone in history, you know, always like going to see the beheadings. I'm, you know. Like disturbing, <sighs> right? But see, here's the thing. I've always, like, even with things, like, even with those things that I'm really curious about, mm-hmm. I always feel the very strong logic pull. I have to logic it out and go, should I go? That, it makes no sense. Why, like, just anything like that? No, it's a dangerous situation. That could definitely go wrong. I'm so curious. I just want to know how it works. But that's definitely not a smart choice or logical. Well, there's Damn nothing. I'll have to find out it later. There's nothing wrong with knowing what's going on, and that's my point. My but, thing is, I would never think to do it sniper style per se. Like, I would never think to find the vantage point. Yeah, that's my first thought. That has always been my first thought, yeah, right from the say, get-go. It's a totally different mindset. As far as I could remember back to my childhood, that has always been my first goal about things. I, I You would never catch me going with the crowd, ever. If I see a crowd moving in a particular direction, I immediately stop and go in a completely different direction. And if I'm actually curious about where everybody's going, I will always look around me to find out where's the vantage point can i see where they're headed i've never been that fucking sheep going off the edge of the cliff bullshit like my entire life has never been that yep like talk about neurodivergent that's me (laughs) thousand percent i will i will never ever run with a crowd like i've definitely done that in the (laughs) obviously you know me at this point i definitely don't Go with the crowd. Mm-hmm. Not a sheep that'll go off the edge or a lemming. <laughs> yeah, no. But that's out of conscious control, <laughs> not right. automation. Right, exactly. I, I, and I understand that. It's never been a thing for me to do that. And I guess the reason why I'm bringing that up now is because I've always, since I ever first heard the statement, Jack of all trades, master of none, without even knowing that this the statement was incomplete... I never um, was against it. Mm -hmm. I always thought that it was a very powerful statement to be jack of all trades and master of none. To me, it was um, a term of endearment. It's like you're challenging me to... You're challenging me to actually master what I'm doing so that I could be the master of all. That's how my brain works. Every time I heard the statement, master of none, I, it was like, oh, fuck you. I'll show you how much I master this shit. And then, and then we're going to see who's the who's the real master. Fucking idiot. That's where my mind went with it, too, though. I was like, master of none. But I could, though. But I could, though. Right. And then, and but then logically, I would do... you could. But, now, think about it this time, okay? Exactly. Now, 
the general consensus, and I know you've got the research somewhere to quote it properly, but um, mm-hmm. from your research um, and you know the general consensus of people knowing about this research, if you want a mathematical figure, it takes 10,000 hours to become an expert. Mm-hmm. Now, what is 10,000 hours? Because people think, how much is that? Like, okay, that, but that could be done. Let me put it into perspective. If you're working, you know, your, your regular job. Standard job. Yeah. Standard job, okay. That's about 2,000 hours a year. So five years at the same job, not missing work really, doing the exact same thing. I mean, like, beheading chickens mm-hmm. at that point. Five years doing that straight, you're mm-hmm. an expert at beheading chickens. Now, you know, just, just, just as a tangent, end, you know, just like, as a tangent there, this is where the statement comes from where people ask that dumbass question. It pisses me off. What's your five year plan? <laughs> this is the reason why. This is the wow. exact reason why, because it's already been a standard to understand that it takes five years consistently even just at eight hours a day to master something. That's why people always ask, what's your five-year plan? Because that five... No, no, no. why we do that, why that's ingrained in here. Yeah. But see, that's a master plan right there. Exactly. Planned for mastery. What, what are you planning to master? And that's really quite fascinating. Now, of course, the thing is, let's say... You're 40 years old, you know, you're 20 years out of school. You could have mastered, in that case, four different things. Yes. You could be a master at, you know, I don't know, construction, massage. That's why university is set up that way. Priest and... um, You you know that, right? This is why university university is set up that exact way. So that you do something for four years, and then you have that extra year to do an internship. So yeah. you learn all the skills within five years to master it. So you could you, be a master of multiple. You just have to put in that time and dedication. Absolutely. And yet be a jack of all trades, master of all trades. Well, yes. You, so Master of many. Well, rightfully, you have to become quite masterful at it because a lot of the challenging tasks, for example, building a bridge... You have to master certain aspects of physics before you could successfully build a bridge. Yeah. Because distance becomes a factor. Um, environment becomes a factor. Gravitational Water... force according to Ada Twist. Exactly. All of these <laughs> things become a factor. So you have to master understanding the principles before you could do the thing that you're set out to do. So for me, the statement is quite erroneous and misleading. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that first part. That first part to me is very, very misleading and quite erroneous because you have to actually master things in order to culminate your mastery into a particular effect. Like you have to. There's no choice with that. If you want to produce a very specific thing, you have to understand what it takes to build that thing. And mm-hmm. you have to master those concepts. So then concepts building on that, why then would someone choose to do the single thing for their entire life? Like, let's say looking at the monks, Shaolin monk. Mm-hmm. Are they then only a master in one thing? Uh, contrary. On the contrary. They're not. 
this is this is like one of the big reasons why I say it's very misleading. Mm-hmm. Because in order to become a monk, there are several skills that you have to master. Right? Even even the, that term that everybody uses now, just because it sounds all fucking pretty and shit. Let, let's all let's all practice mindfulness. Like fuck <laughs> off. You have no idea what mindfulness is unless you understand that it is controlled by your mind. If your mind is all fucked up and filled with trauma and you can't even focus on a single fucking thought and you're always flick, fluck, flick, fluck, flick, fluck, flapper, like there's no way you will ever become mindful. Mindful. In like the word alone, you're filling your mind when you're trying to practice emptying your mind. How the fuck is that supposed to work? Like, it's stupid. <laughs> the word itself is fucking with you. Any, any, they'll always tell you you have to empty your mind. Every, every meditational specialist has always told the entire world you must practice emptying your mind you have to do that but you have to achieve the silence in your mind and then recently within the last fucking 20 years oh let's all pra- practice mindfulness and even the the description is fucking stupid you can't fill your mind and keep it full without emptying it first you have to make space and that space must be empty it might sound crazy to a lot of people but you have to actually empty out that space in order to properly fill it for those who grew up with um like when when computers were just becoming a really big thing one of the most important maintenance things you had to do with your computer was to defrag it because and and when windows was a master of the of the graphical interface for a defrag program when you pulled up your defrag to defrag your hard drive it would show all of the uh, little block icons that it was fragmented all of the information on the hard drive was fragmented and you would see how the computer was taking all of these different colors of blocks and putting the colors next to each other as opposed to being scattered all over the place and what this would do is it would create a seam uh, a seamless uh, organization of information on the hard drive so that when you called for access to different programs it would be right next to each other as a and that sped up the process it was automatically speeding up the process it's just like a regular filing office if you have all of the files for one person in 20 different drawers it takes more time to go to 20 different drawers so being mindful is actually uh, counterproductive. You have to empty the space completely 
and reorganize. And that's what meditation does. That's what real meditation does. It empties out the space so that you could properly, uh, properly categorize the information in your mind. And once it's properly defragmented, now you could be operating at a state of efficiency. You know what I mean? Yep. That's how easy it is to actually become master of all as opposed to master of none. Or master of one. Or master of one. It's an interesting concept. So then that phrase in and of itself, is it not just a limiting phrase making you choose between one or the other? It is a huge limiting phrase and people don't even realize how fucked up that is. So we're being programmed even at that level. Yes. There we go. Yeah, it is that messed up. It's enough to make a person paranoid. I know. It's a huge state of, oh, fuck, I've been fucked up my whole life, even by the thing that I thought was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> those are everywhere. Well, like, you really, you really bring those to my awareness. Well, I'll because bring... Because, um, well, between the two of us, I'm much more likely to be programmed <laughs> than you. Yeah. It's bit. something I consistently fight against, whereas for you, it has... No proclivity in your brain at all. The second that I catch a program, oh my... And I have to actually work to see it. Fucking war with me. Comparatively. The moment the moment I catch a program in operation, it's like the Matrix. I see that fucking Agent Smith, I'm on fucking wartime. <laughs> so remember I told you that I had a twist for, for this podcast. Right? All right. And this is where we segue into it. So just before we say going into that, I just want to uh, take a minute to thank everyone who uh, has stayed with us for all 17 episodes. This being episode 17 is actually the last one for season one. We have a lot of great plans for season two, but I wanted to make sure to, to thank everyone for listening to our ramblings and rummagings and... <laughs> absolute disdain Revere. <laughs> since we're sticking with ours yes and and in reconnaissance and and enjoying our on remembering yeah. remembrance <laughs> <laughs> i keep going on ours it's pretty fun and also enjoying our authenticity our brand of our authenticity reveling that too <laughs> oh my god i live with the pun queen i swear to god <laughs> So, on the note of this fucking programming... and In other words, rehashing? Oh, for the love. <laughs> Just let me finish the sentence, woman. <laughs> um, I found a, a website, uh, an article on a website called theodysseyonline.com. And the article is Seven Phrases You've Been Misquoting. Oh, so talking about talking about this this thing right? yeah yeah um and for anyone listening i have not heard this yet no so it's it's titled seven phrases you've been misquoting and the subtitle is that doesn't mean what you think it means right so the first one blood is thicker than water who hasn't heard that especially right. in the black community so i'm telling you if you're in the black community 
fucking open your ears and listen to this shit because this will absolutely fuck with your mind. The full saying is actually the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. (laughs) I'll say that again. The blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. Doesn't that totally switch it then? <laughs> doesn't, doesn't that mean that it's, it's referencing that your like relationship or covenant or, you know, like organization is more important than like, you know, womb. So family. <laughs> so it totally switching it? in their words, basically, it means exactly the opposite of what most people think. It refers to the idea that the bonds you chose to make can mean much more to you than the ones you were born into and don't have much of a say in. Oh my god. So in other words, fuck family, make a covenant. (laughs) (laughs) That's huge. That's the reason people stay in like toxic family situations. Exactly. (laughs) the misquotation of this could turn this world has turned this world upside down wars wars started over this yes (laughs) and that's just number one and it's already a fucking mind blow I didn't even know this before this because I always thought the whole you know blood is thicker than water was the whole thing yeah yeah Right, so this is just as much a revelation to me as to you and our listeners. Uh, the second one, curiosity killed the cat. This is another, I know that one. Yeah, I, I used it several times already today. Right. This phrase continues. So this is the whole phrase, but satisfaction brought it back. <laughs> Curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought it back. That's the whole phrase. Well, that's hefty, because cats have nine lives, but it also brings about the cat that came back. Schrodinger. Fred Pennison? Oh, okay. You not know that I was one? thinking Schrodinger, but that, that's probably not the right thing. No, I have no idea. Fred Penner. I have Okay, uh, the brief, brief, brief chorus part of it. Okay. And basically, um, no, cat came back. At the very next, yeah, the cat came back the very next day. Something like basically, he takes it. The cat he takes off to you know I don't know a couple streets away, and the cat came back the very next day. You know, and each time he takes the cat progressively farther away, the cat comes comes back the very next day. It's like okay, I'll have to look that up. Um, so that the their 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 statement continues. This makes sense. They're saying exactly what you just said. This makes sense considering the whole idea that cats get nine lives. I often heard the first half when I was little and asking too many questions. But Mm -hmm. the full phrase suggests that there's no such thing as too many questions. Brilliant. So, I mean, for those who are listening, like, just... Hang on to your fucking knickers, because this is only number two. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so the full statement, curiosity killed the cat, but satisfaction brought it back. 
Number third. Well, we just covered this one. A jack of all trades is master of none. So we already expounded that one. The number four. Great minds think alike. This one is really going to fuck yeah. with you. Okay, okay. I'm really familiar with this phrase. So the full, uh, the full phrase is completed with small minds rarely differ. Uh, oh, I knew that one, actually. So the full, the full thing is great minds think alike, small minds rarely differ. Is the following line to this once reassuring quote. I would Actually, ad- just mom- wait, just wait, let okay. me finish it. I would advise you try not to think about that too much the next time you and your classmates are on a roll with your group project. Sometimes phrases get cut short for good reason. Yeah, uh, so actually my mom has always told me that one and actually told me the better way to think about it. Um, Basically, great minds get excited when they think alike Mm -hmm. and small minds, because they rarely differ, Mm -hmm. they always try to have the same mind. It's an effort to have the same mind, whereas great minds get excited when there's a similar mind. Right. And That's it, how it, she always explained it to it's me. Su- it's such a fine line between the two that most just automatically assume it's it's all the same. But it's so not. It's hugely different. So you I mean, it might seem like a prejudice, but let's be real here. <laughs> Elon Musk, you know, uh Tim Burton, uh Spike Lee, you know, like all of these people are great minds, but that doesn't mean that they think alike. So they would be excited if they had a similar idea. To great, well, see, greatness, yes. gr- true greatness, depends they, it's, on it's diversity. Thought process too. Yes. That was um, I remember that part. Mom explained that to me too. Great minds think alike, as in their minds think similarly. Yeah, the the process with which they. Um, and small and because there's a double entendre I remember that now I'm remembering yeah. this because she explained that to me later on um the other part was so ingrained the small minds rarely differ um she said it means that small minds are all gonna look the same well like it's, well, clicks. well it's, see again you clicks. know you think about this think think clicks think exactly. social clicks social clicks would be an example of small minds right because everybody tries to pressure everybody to be the same in the group. So if you are experiencing that, just and and you are the one that just won't, you know, comply, you're the one that just won't fit into that standard. <laughs> trust me, you're on you're on the path to being a great mind. Yep. But plain and simple. Great minds always make the process of thinking the big thing so if you have a clear way in which you process the information and it happens to differ from the group mindset trust me this is the path to actually owning and honing a great mind so that's number four great minds think alike small minds rarely differ Ah, now on to my favorite. Number five. Money is the root of all evil. <laughs> that one? 
Again, the original version is a little longer. This biblical phrase originally reads, The love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. There's a difference in making more money than you could possibly spend and keeping it. Right, that's according to what they've written. And okay. I, I knew this one um, simply because growing up Christian, we always heard people misquoting this one. Money is the root of all evil. And there are several preachers that had to actually come into church and say, listen, that is not what the Bible says. It says the love of money. So if you love money. For it, the sake of money, just money, money, money. Yes, it will actually produce quite evil results in your character because it's the Thanks thing screech. that... Well, exactly. It will make you do things that are either borderline evil or just plain out evil. Because that's what loving money does. Now, for me, <laughs> this goes into a whole different, whole different world. Because you, you have to expand the thinking and see if the love of money is causing the root of all evil, then is it the love or is it the money? Because remember, the rest of the world purports that you have to have love in your heart and love will help you to have more passion about whatever it is you're doing. So are the people who are loving money just passionate? And is then the reference to evil, that passion is evil. You understand how fucked up that can yep. get, right? Like like that, that, that's some serious intensity right there. Right. So even, even with that, then you have to wonder from a biblical point of view, what is the actual reference? Is it the love... <laughs> Oh my God. Sorry, everybody. Jesus Christ. I didn't feel that coming at all. <laughs> okay. Sorry, everybody. So I'll cut that part out. But <laughs> So because I cut that part out, um, yeah, Sage just had a, an extremely amazing sneeze. <laughs> By amazing... You mean deafening. <laughs> oh, God, that was awesome. That was epic. Anyway, um, so yeah, so from a biblical perspective, you have to wonder what the real definition is or the reason why that was even put there. You know, is it is it saying that love and, by extension, passion is evil or... Yeah, like you know what I mean. Like you, mm -hmm. there's so many things that are unanswered by that statement, right? I'll leave that for you guys. This is this is kind of the cliffhanger for you guys to kind of figure out while you wait for us to get season two out. There we go. <laughs> Mind bender in place. <laughs> uh, number six, my country, right or wrong? This this one is global. I've never heard this one, so I'm, I'm curious about it, too. This is often used to justify supporting bad wars. The original actually says, my country, right or wrong, if right, to be kept 
uh, to be kept right, and if wrong, to be set right. So let me read it again, because I kind of messed up reading it there. My country, right or wrong, if right, to be kept right, and if wrong, to be set right. And I think in today's world, this is probably the most applicable statement for everyone on the planet. Now, there is a bit of a <laughs> there's a bit of a philosophical piece here because you have to answer the question, what is right at its core? Because mm-hmm. everybody could think that they're right. <laughs> it doesn't mean that they are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh yeah. So again, this is this is one of those cliffhangers. You you have to bring a, a solid state of objective philosophy into this. So again, the statement is my the full statement, my country, right or wrong. If right, to be kept right, and if wrong, to be set right. And this it has to be objective, not subjective, because the subjectivity is actually what's going on right now in the world. Mm-hmm. Pure subjectivity is going on. I am right, so therefore I determine what's right. And you're wrong, so I'm going to set you right. <laughs> slavery happened this way. <laughs> there is right? that. Right? Slavery, the world over, happened this way. Uh, this puts the responsibility on the citizen to make sure their country is a good one, not the other way around. Right? So, again, this is I'm reading this directly from uh, theodysseyonline.com. These these are not my words. This is not our words. You know, <laughs> disclaimer here. This is this is a statement that has already been put into the public sphere. This is fascinating to discuss. Right. Okay. Um, and then number seven, the last one they have on here is starve a cold, feed a fever. I've never I've heard, heard this that one. one. I've never. Heard I haven't this heard one. the country one, but I've heard that one lots. All right. So. I've only heard this a couple times, and it could have multiple meanings just by reading it differently. Not only is it terrible advice, but it's also poorly quoted. The original states, if you starve a cold, you'll have to feed a fever. Now that's advice I can take to heart. (laughs) Yeah, that's a whole different story right there, right? (laughs) Like, what the... Oh my god. What is up with some of these? Like, you know, like, seriously. And nobody ever thinks to research the saying in order to understand if that's the real saying. Like, people today don't do that. See, when I was growing up, um, it was imperative for you as a person to have um a very clear and precise knowledge of things you know this is why people bought encyclopedia sets this is why people bought dictionaries for Mm -hmm. the the home like you had door-to-door salesmen that sold encyclopedia sets and dictionaries right that might actually be a very new concept for a lot of people right yeah remember that if if you're if you're listening (laughs) if you're listening to this right now and you haven't even heard of this go go, google it you'll see you're 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 pretty young and you you need to google this this was an actual thing yes right 
And I mean, I'm, how else were you to get the knowledge? You couldn't go on the internet. No. You could go to the library and get a book, or to get a general overview of all kinds of subjects, have a set of encyclopedias. You had to have a set of encyclopedias, right? So whoever wrote the encyclopedias all, all like they had monopoly, right? And and when the internet came about, it really, really put a massive dent in that industry. Has anybody been using encyclopedias since the internet? I don't think so. In fact, you, in the library, you can't even check out encyclopedias. Those They are considered reference books that don't ever leave the library. That's, that's, how, that's hmm. how ancient um, and revered, I would say, encyclopedias well, I mean, are. Now. I know you could never check out an encyclopedia. Yeah. That was kind of a fairly common thing, yeah. unless they had some simple ones with multiple copies, like old versions. Like I think if it was, um, I don't know if, if it was like, well, any that wasn't the newest version you could check out. Well, when my cousin was going to university, when I lived there in in Saskatoon, um, well, she she may or may not have provided an opportunity an alleged opportunity <laughs> for me to allegedly have entered <laughs> a certain library <laughs> allegedly <laughs> where i allegedly had the opportunity to potentially have <laughs> previewed <laughs> <laughs> certain uh, material that, <laughs> that may or may not be in existence. <laughs> What's crazy is to have to be that stealthy about a library that but people really covered libraries like that and oh, absolutely. have those rules like if it's a public library versus not public libraries are fine and dandy, but those university libraries, they have some serious works in them. They do. And they really do. They do indeed. You know, you have to have that whole tuition paid to be able to go in there. And I can't confirm or deny that you may or may not have ever been in a university library, you know, but as far as, (laughs) as far as knowledge goes, um, they, you know, there's there's uh, evidence that that I'm university li- say I've been in a university library <laughs> that university libraries <laughs> contain uh, materials and content that are considered. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't even know what word to use for this. <laughs> Just hush at this point. If they don't get it, they don't get it. <laughs> the point of this being. Um, don't just take a saying for what it is. Research and find out if the saying is incomplete or not. Because I could almost certainly guarantee you any saying you've ever heard is at least 90% incomplete. Because part of that saying is uh, it doesn't it doesn't fit with what a person is trying to uh, try to make you believe. You know, like we started out with the, you know, jack jack of all trades, master of none. It's meant to be a disparaging statement. It's meant to embarrass somebody who is seen as not having the consistency 
or not having the dedication or not having, you know, somebody being ADHD about, you know, where they just flip from thing to thing, right? It's meant to, to be very, very much a derogatory statement when in truth and in fact, uh, the people who take the time to actually learn that many skills they are consistent about learning that many skills. It takes a very serious level of brain power to hold all of that knowledge about those skills. And that is key. I can't tell you how much knowledge I've forgotten from my uh, veterinary office assistant course. I remembered quite a chunk, but I did not have the knowledge that I did then. And it's because a lot of it hasn't been used much. Recent years, I would even add to that that it's not just so much that it hasn't been used over the years, but um, there lacks an applicability rule. And I no, think it's that I haven't used them in a number of years. Well, I okay. use basically everything from that course, but I haven't used a number of it in a while, short of you know, hey, my cat's not peeing, should I take it to the vet? <laughs> you know, okay, I, all right, Those, like common things that you know, regular people will. <laughs> me about and i always make sure to tell them of course that i cannot offer medical advice but i can certainly tell them <laughs> from a receptionist point of view from a um you know assistant type point of view whether or not they should get their cat to the to the vet right you know later today or put everything down and go now or <laughs> so maybe it was a general statement but, but you know I, I but think... short of that like there's so much like that i've forgotten Right, but here, here's my point behind mm. why why I kind of use the general statement. I think that applicability is a is a main factor because there are some skills that are adaptable across the board, which is why, like in resumes, uh, when you're presenting a resume, if you're switching careers or you're switching fields. Um, you're encouraged in your resume to identify the core skills that you've developed from one area and how it could be applicable to the new job that you're applying for. Mm -hmm. So I think it's, I think that it could be one of the things um, to kind of rephrase that. I think it's one of the things that um, is a factor because I know that you've been able to use your your VOA knowledge uh, in your psychic readings. Yes. You know what I mean? So, yes, I could see why you would say it would be a lack of use, but I think it's more so applicability because you, you clearly you have the knowledge and um, from, a, from a mind science point of view, it's already been proven that we don't, we don't really forget anything. We just sometimes don't have a trigger associated with the memory in order to recall. Well, we've come up with that with vocabulary before, that universal vocabulary concept, right? Yeah. Like, I've, when scrying, I've said words that I, I don't remember anything about. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you'll tell me the definition later if, you know, I ask or something, but a word will come out and I'll be able to pronounce it. Yeah. And it's very hard to do that organically. Like, to yes. simply hear something you've never heard before. Usually... I feel a tinge of, I kind of know this word. I don't remember what the heck it means, but I've seen it somewhere. Mm -hmm. Or certainly after when you've 
told me, you know, answered the question of what that was, mm-hmm. it sparks that. I'm like, yeah, where did I hear that? Because it wouldn't be something I would actively use, but it's there in my brain for the perusing of, I don't want to say perusing of beans, but yeah. <laughs> at the same time, here, pluck my mind, take the words that you want. <laughs> but it's not so far off. It is very much um, a consensus of sharing the resources that I have within my mind so as to convey the knowledge. Yeah. I mean, that is universal language, The because that's not... Um, a word language it's a picture language so they'll you know basically saying hey come on in to the brain for a moment here's my vocabulary repertoire pick the words well, and i'll give the meaning remember, that i have here remember um that uh, that tv series um stargate remember mm-hmm. the one episode where they discovered this wormhole that led to a place where the guy who had originally entered the wormhole the first time he was lost for like over 50 years or something like that. Yeah. And they ended up finding him. And then the one room that they went into, Daniel Jackson um, turned on that device and the universal language of all the five ancients was basically... It was atoms, molecules yes, or exactly, something. Exactly, exactly. Was, was it atoms or was it molecules? Either way, whatever it was they said. Right. I don't remember which, which which term they used at the time. The, base, the basic chemical composition of life is what was used as the language to speak. Yes. Because they all spoke different native languages, so they had to find a commonality, which is we're all made of the same molecular structure. You know, and so, so simil- similar concept with that universal language, picture language. Like, how fucking cool is that? Yeah. You know, I mean... <laughs> This is the reason why the crop circles are the way that they are. Right? Designed for the, universal understanding. Exactly. Right? And, and I mean, I, I, I've read enough about the crop circles where the story keeps saying, oh, you know, we, we haven't actually figured it out. We don't know what it really means. Like, I think it's all bullshit. That's just me. But, and, you know. <laughs> that's your opinion. That's my opinion. I'm stating and I will not give what that, my opinion is, but my actually. I mean, my opinion is much the same that the knowledge is there somewhere. I think I, I think it's already it, been figured I'm out. But sure, there's knowledge there. I'm qu- I'm, I am I at feel least must be ninety nine percent sure that some some smart ass motherfuckers on this planet have already figured out exactly what the fuck aliens are trying to say, if it at all. Well, have you heard recently that um that there's a um repeating sequence yes being projected deep space yes yeah yeah. Same thing. Same thing, I think. I, th- I think they already know what it is. They just don't want to let people know that they know exactly what it is. That's just my opinion. Yep. I'm we stating very sure clearly. We're very clearly stating this is, an this opinion. Is, this is my opinion. And if you don't know, podcast. Let, let, let's be very clear. Look up the definition of opinion if you don't know what the <laughs> fuck I'm saying. <laughs> this is my opinion. <laughs> but the factual evidence is that there is, um, a, like, for example, the factual part is that... In that one, for example, there is the projection coming out of deep, deep space. You can look it up. It's every so many. It's very, very. Ma- it's mathematical. Yeah, it's mathematical, isn't it? I, I want to say it's like eleven minutes or eleven. I don't remember. I got it in Gosh, my. I, I got it in my. Uh... There's like specific times regularly, and they just the news article I'd read indicated I follow... they did not yet know what 
what uh, the message was that was being projected or the information well, that was this, being projected. This is what this is what the news article said too. The the forum that I follow is a uh, uh, Curiosmos. Okay. So curiosmos.com and I follow their I follow their Telegram channel. Okay. So I get whenever they they have updates, and I know I, it's in the feed somewhere. I'd pre- probably take too long to kind of look at it from to kind of find it right now, um, live on podcast. But yeah. I know that if, if you're if you're if you want to know exactly like what's happening, like fresh off fresh and I saw off the mine press, on one of the two news outlets that I generally see daily, which is either that that what is it called? Um, when you swipe your phone, uh, five five flip flip starts with an F. I have no idea what you're talking about. Anyway, there's a news app that goes that way. That or MSN.com. Okay. Yeah. Th- it was this... one of those two that would have given me my information, the link to it. Speaking of mastery. First time, and then I looked it up and who knows where. Speaking of mastery, uh, Curiosmos specializes in, in any sort of Cosmos news. Um, and not Cosmo like the freaking magazine. I'm talking about news in the, in the universe, the way that the universe As in works. Space. Yes. Jesus, I hate to have to Space identify all this shit all the time. Fuck. <laughs> I used to read Cosmo. I quite liked oh it. God, let's not go on a tangent for Cosmo. <laughs> no, I just I did when I was um I, my, a young adult on my own. It was enjoyable once in a while. I never liked those magazines. I anyway, know you wouldn't. Anyway, the the point being, um <laughs> Curiosmos.com uh carries all of these articles and i'm sure it's not always like a hundred percent because the, you know a lot of information where space is concerned is classified you know information and whatnot well, and, and we are blah 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 but bear in mind we're in the information age too so i know everybody's all about the source 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 but on that note coming from us yeah so if you want the end note psychic advice when you are looking for information and trying to figure out is it a source you can trust or not sometimes just read between the lines a bit and file away the knowledge you know mm-hmm. hey i don't know if this is reputable but let me file that away that's interesting if it is that's quite a thing or you know go research it for other in other locations if you can find multiple things saying much the same thing you might be on to something and it might be worth um you know checking into further uh psychically Mm-hmm. Um, or well, I mean, that's how I kind of treat it. Yep. I mean, but when you're when you're looking for information, bear in mind it's much like in the universal, in the whole universal concept too. Uh, keep your mind open. Look for correlations. Look for connections. I know I hate the word, but I think it's a good reference here. Just be mindful about the information you're oh, consuming. <laughs> I don't think that, see, I would not use that term because I think it promotes too much overthinking and too much assessing of of the information. Don't take everything at face value, but read between the lines and start to make a pathway of similar connections and you'll get to the right answer. Yeah, let's go with that. I like that. Right, kind of treat like a spider web, trying to get to the middle there or something. Yeah. Um. Do you have any closing words? I just did. 
Tease this one. You gotta like. Oh, other words. Yeah. Prep, prep um, me for that stuff. Sorry. <laughs> it's Thursday. What can I say about Thursdays? I don't have interesting information. About well, we're recording. Or, we're recording on Thursday. We're recording on Thursday. Yeah. Well, maybe it's Wednesday. No, it's 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 like yeah, it's like it's a Thursday now. Six thirty-five a.m. in the morning. Okay, we're recording. Oh, Mm. sorry. I have my closing words are: don't sneeze loudly on a podcast. Apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I should leave the sneeze in. (laughs) I got that one avoided. Okay. That was close. At least I felt that one. Oh man, that was so. I have really giant, strange sneezes. That was epic. I really do. It hasn't changed in 11 years. It hasn't changed in over 30 years. I have had, from day one, I have had strange, giant sneezes. They come out sounding all like alien like, or they're just massively loud. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> They're like, I'm like the comic queen of sneezes. Oh, so I should probably do some housekeeping too, just as we're closing. Sure. Um, we have a number of ways that you can reach out to us. Um, and I'll leave the links in the description. Uh, we are on Facebook. You can look for us as a shaman and uh, a shaman plus a psychic or a shaman, a psychic. Um, <clears throat> we have other ways that you can connect with us. I've got a Wizio page as KL the Shaman. So if you need services, this is where you would uh, connect with me on that. Uh, Sage is one of our writers at the blog uh, KL the Shaman's Corner on Cora. Um, I answer tons of questions on Cora too, and we also have an apprentice. Um, uh, also on, on also, also on Cora, uh, Juniper Juniper Lilac, and um, yeah. So if you want to reach out to us, do that. Uh, we would love for you to leave a review um, or some nice words and comments on pod chaser and I'll, I'll leave that link there too uh, so that you guys can review our season one we've been ruckus but we've been authentic and we really appreciate you supporting it um any final words my dear um, my love i was just gonna say since you mentioned mostly where you are hopefully i'll be seen in more places soon too yes get things happening and that's all i really have for final words um <laughs> As in standard fashion, our little one has heard us and is waking up and probably going to let herself out at any moment. So our timing is excellent as usual. Yeah. We love you guys. And later we'll talk again. Go love. Yes. Have great sex.